Well, good morning. I'd like to begin by reminding you that you are perfectly perfect. How about that? You guys good? I want to begin by reminding, no one said amen. I thought maybe one person would. Uh, how about that? Uh, just, what's, I want to just remind you that you're perfectly perfect. Yes? Yes? Um, let's do this, because I don't know that everybody's with me so far. How about we do this? How about we do it this way? How about you tell the person sitting next to you what it's like for you to be perfectly perfect? Go ahead, tell the person sitting next to you. What is it like for you to be perfectly perfect? Go ahead, tell them. Go ahead. It's okay. What's it like? <laughs> Zach, jump in with any time you want to participate here, bro. I'm going to call you out. I'm going to start calling people out. What's it like to be perfectly? Okay, listen, if you guys aren't going to participate, I'll go back to the tithing stuff that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. We do that. You are at once perfectly perfect. And you and I are growing in how to live in his perfection. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Uh, we're going to walk through Hebrews 10 this morning, but we're going to start in the middle of the chapter. Hebrews 10, 14. The first 13 verses of Hebrews 10, we won't read them all. The first 13 verses talk about what Christ's sacrifice accomplished on our behalf. Um, talks about how um, in the old covenant, uh, the priest would sacrifice to make atonement for um, the people of Israel the one-time sacrifice of Jesus made a way for us to personally encounter God, to know God and be known by God. His sacrifice cleansed us from all of our sin. If you were here last week, his sacrifice cleanses us from a guilty conscience. His sacrifice sets us free. So check out verse 14, Hebrews chapter 10. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect Forever, those who are being made holy. Okay, we'll keep this on the screen for just a sec. Uh, ask a couple questions. Who did he make perfect? <laughs> Guys, seriously, we're going to go to the tithing stuff if you're not going to be in this with me. Who did he make perfect? Yeah. Okay, okay, we're getting there. We're warming up. Who did he make perfect? For how long? Who made you perfect? Jesus. And we're perfectly perfect. And he is growing us in holiness. By his sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You are at once perfect forever. You are healed. You are whole. And you are holy and God is at work right now enabling you to learn how to live into your healing, into wholeness, and calling you to grow into deeper levels of holiness. If you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, I want you to hear this. If you've chosen to believe and receive the full measure of his sacrifice, you have been made holy forever, and God is continuing to invite you into his perfection and holiness. Verse 15, the next verse, says the Holy Spirit also testifies about this truth that we just proclaimed. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them 
And after that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. The Holy Spirit testifies through the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, the writer is quoting Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34, Old Testament. But I will make a new covenant. This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. But I will make a new covenant with the whole nation of Israel after I plant them back in the land, says the Lord. I'll put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts and minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. People will no longer need to teach their neighbors and relatives to know me for all of them from the least important to the most important will know me, says the Lord. For I will forgive their sin and will no longer call to mind the wrong that they have done. Uh, the statement that God will remember sins no more means that he will no longer call back to his memory with a view of condemning the sinner. Uh, some of you know, uh, maybe even by heart, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then verse 18 in Hebrews 10. And where these things have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. It's amazing, amazing truth. Last week we talked about being free to choose sacrifice. What the writer here is talking about is the sacrifice needed for sin. 2,000 years prior to Jesus and almost 100 years before the temple was built, this idea was alive. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. You might remember David's confession in Psalm 51. He says this, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. And then through the prophet Hosea, uh, Hosea chapter six, verse six, God speaks and he says, I don't want your sacrifices. I just want your love. I don't want your offerings. I just want you to know me. There is a Jewish saying that uh, goes like this. In the time to come or in the times of the Messiah, all offerings shall cease, but the sacrifice of praise. The only sacrifice now desired by God is the sacrifice of praise. Check out the next couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, down to verse 19. Uh, starting at verse 19 and then the verses that follow um, all the way to the end of chapter 10, they are uh, the fourth of five warnings that the writer of the Hebrews issues um, to the, his readers. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about this. So this is uh, the beginning of the, of the fourth warning. 
Here's, here's a little bit of how it goes. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Here's the, this is the, this, this is a little bit of the warning. This is so beautiful. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, our great high priest, we can draw near to God without fear, without shame, without a guilty conscience. We have been made perfectly perfect. And this contains this warning. If we don't draw near to God, if we don't draw near to him, there will be consequences. The consequences of not drawing near to God are sprinkled throughout the rest of the chapter. Uh, we won't read all of those. Maybe you can read them later on this afternoon, but they can be summarized as falling away or judgment. So the warning, draw near to God. Draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance. And the consequence of not doing that, the writer says, is apostasy. It's falling away and judgment. Now you can read all about that there. Last uh, few verses of Hebrews 10. But the next couple of verses, before he gets to that hard stuff, the next couple of verses are going to contain this sort of exhortation, if you will, of Christian fellowship. And we'll just look at them one verse at a time. So verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. Okay, uh, we'll just look at it three ways real quick. How, what, and why? How? How do we do it? We hold unswervingly. We hold so tight. We hold unswervingly. We, we don't lean. We don't, we don't waver. To what? To the hope that we profess. The hope that we say we believe in. The hope that Jesus will return soon. That one day Jesus will make all things new. That one day all things, all people will be redeemed and restored and resurrected. Why? Because he's not just a promise maker, he's a promise keeper and his name is faithful and true. I would imagine that the first readers of this letter, there was probably some readers who said, that's me, that's me. I'm holding unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Like I'm in, I'm all in. But there's some others most likely that are reading this letter for the first time and going, man, I don't know, I'm wavering here. I'm not so sure about all of this. This stuff is hard. I don't even know if I believe all of this stuff. I'd imagine that these readers are trying to figure it out together. And they're talking with each other. They're reading together. The next verse actually helps us here, verse 24. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So there's some people in the church maybe that are, I don't know about all this. And there's some other people that are like, yes, yes. The writer says, so let's consider then how we can spur one another on towards love and towards good deeds. We are called as a church, that's us, right? This is all of us. We are called as a church to spur one another on. We're called to encourage. We're called to bless. We're called to advocate. We're called to cheer on. 
there are people in this room who are listening and doing really well. And there's some other people that are just having a really, really hard time, maybe even barely holding on. This is one reason why the church is such a beautiful place, because we're all in this together. There's a mutuality that is so present in our midst. One might be having a hard time and one might be doing really well. This call is for all of us. Let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I just got to ask you a question before we go too much further here. How can you spur on another toward love and good deeds? What would that look like for you? Just as you are right where you are in our body, what would it look like for you to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then I got to ask you, as important as the first question is, well, who spurs you on? How do you, how do you keep going? Who spurs you on? I just uh, tell you a quick story. Um, in the church that I was in, uh, when, when I was in, junior high, uh, my parents got divorced and my mom went to a different church and my dad stayed um, at the church that, and my brother and I uh, hung out with, with our dad. And um, I'm in like eighth grade or whatever. I think I might have told this story before. I'm in like eighth grade or whatever and uh, I don't want to be at church. Like there's no way I want to be at church. Everybody knows the sins of our family and I don't want to be there. But my dad was like, hey, donuts, donuts on the way to church. And I'm like, okay, I'm in, let's go. My brother and I hop in, you know, get to stop the school donut shop. In our church was this kind of older guy, a senior citizen kind, kind, kind of age. At least he was in my mind when I was in eighth grade. I don't know what happened, but every Sunday, this guy kind of like would wander around and he would look for me and he'd come up to me and he'd say, I love you more than you know. And he'd give me a big hug. And I would think, this is so weird. <laughs> like, what is, what is this guy? <laughs> but every Sunday throughout high school, this guy showed up, threw his arms around me, and he said, I love you more than you know. And uh, then when Christy came into my life and we brought her to church, uh, this guy's name was Leroy. Leroy, throw his arms around her. And he'd say, I love you more than you know. I thought, Wow. Golly. And I couldn't articulate why I wanted to go to church. I didn't want to go to church, but there was something in me that drew me to church as a high school kid. And you know what it was? It was some guy that just believed in me. There's a bunch of kids running around this church, y'all. I mean, it's so cool to celebrate Corinne. There's a bunch of kids that are running around this church and their lives are so fractured. And the reason that they would show up is if someone whispered into their ear every Sunday morning, I love you more than you know. This guy, um, Leroy, retired and a bunch of us uh, showed up at his retirement. A bunch of us guys showed up at his retirement and we started talking to each other. We're like, why are you here? And they, my friend would say, because he loved me more than I knew. And I was like, all of us guys were here because this one guy. And then when he died, we all hopped on a plane. We flew back to LA and the funeral was packed full of kids our age there to say, man, thank you. We'll never know. 
but thank you for the way that you loved us. Who spurs you on? Who spurs you on? And who do you spur on? I'll just say this one last thing. Uh, Deborah spurs me on. Every Sunday morning. <laughs> yes. You do, Deborah. Every Sunday morning. Your shirt this morning says, Jesus loves me, this I know. I don't know anybody who holds that truth as profoundly as and innocently as Deborah does. I cannot help but stand next to her and not be moved. Who spurs you on to holy love? Deborah, I love you more than you know. Yeah. This is the next verse, verse 25. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Apparently, some of these new believers had stopped gathering. They would have a weekly gathering and they'd probably gather in homes during the week, you know. Sort of maybe following, if you will, the example of the first church. They met together breaking bread in the homes. But apparently, some of these guys stopped meeting together. The phrase here is a big one in verse 25, don't stop, don't, don't give up, don't give up. It's a big verse, it's a big phrase, it's a heavy-duty word. The NRSV uses the word neglect, not neglecting to meet together. The old King James Version uses the word forsake, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Uh, the Greek word here in this phrase, giving up, um, it's a really, really strong word. It means to separate connection with someone or something to forsake or abandon or desert. Do not separate connection with someone or something, forsake, abandon, or desert. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. There's a couple of examples in scripture where this, past, where this Greek word is used. Just really quickly, I want you to hear where this Greek word is used. A couple other places. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. Uh, the writer here is quoting... Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, where God speaks this incredible promise. Never will I leave you. Never will I abandon you or separate connection with you. Never will I forsake you or desert you. The other place where this Greek word is used is on the cross. Uh, Jesus speaks this same word, Matthew 27 through 46. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus feels cut off from the Father, abandoned, deserted on the cross. Jesus is quoting Psalm 22:1. So let's put these two sentences together, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward holy love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Really, really strong language here. What's the implication for you and for me? If we look around at our church, really, if we look around at the state of the church at large, we can see that probably now more than ever, people have given up meeting together. 
What was once a priority, a non-negotiable, has become optional. A live stream and all that other kind of stuff, podcasts, kind of makes it more convenient for people just to sort of catch church on the go. I was with my daughter this week, both daughters actually this week, when I, my older daughter works at a church in Birmingham. She works at her church. She's on the discipleship team there. And she was telling me about a conversation that they had as a church staff in which they decided they weren't doing live stream anymore. They said, we're not a live stream church. We're a church. And I thought about how convenient it is for a lot of us, especially now we're busy, lots of things going on where church just is down the list of maybe now it's down to number seven or eight. Other things are taking precedence and live stream and I get it, I get it. The height of the COVID pandemic, it simply wasn't safe for us to meet together. Uh, for others, the ability to worship in the home, man, it just became really, really convenient. Travel, work, family issues, leisure, I've learned from some guys that Saturday, uh, Sunday morning is just a really great time to play golf. Sleep, football party, football birthday parties, errands, theological differences, hypocritical church leaders, spiritual doubts. You want an excuse not to go to church? Uh, it shouldn't be hard to find one. And then there's the proliferation of youth sports if you really want me to preach Many of you know, both of my daughters are varsity athletes, both played travel sports. I remember one Easter Sunday morning where my younger daughter came to church in her volleyball uniform. She was coming to church and then she was going to play volleyball in the afternoon later in the day. And a guy came up to me at church that day and he said, worshiping again at the altar of youth sports, huh? And on Easter of all Sundays, I get it. Lots of reasons not to make church a priority. But I want you to hear what scripture says is one of the reasons for us being in the habit of regularly worshiping, meeting together. Not giving up meeting together, or some is in the habit of doing, it's a, kind of in the middle of a really long sentence. The verse 24, we've said that a couple times, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds and then it ends this way, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, read these two verses. Let me read these three verses. What's one reason why we are called to meet together? It's actually for others. One of the primary reasons that scripture calls us to meet together is not for you. It's actually for others. We attend church and we participate in church to spur one another on toward love and good deeds and to encourage each other. So often people attend or don't attend church based on whether it meets their own needs. I actually think that attitude is selfish and contrary to the, what the word of God says. What if instead we go to church for the sake of others? What if instead we attend church to worship God and to encourage Christian brothers and sisters? When we forsake regular Christian fellowship, 
We not only hurt ourselves, but even more, we deprive other believers of gifts and ministries that God has given you to give to them in a sacred trust. Scripture is perfectly clear. I don't think it needs much clarity, but I just got to say this one last word as strongly and clearly as I can say it. In my whole life, I have never met a mature Jesus follower who had a deep relationship with God and an understanding of his word who didn't regularly attend and engage in church. Never. I'd like to close with the video that Brooks made for us. Brooks led us in our call to worship a few minutes ago as we began our time together. I asked him a little bit about meeting together and why he chooses to come to church. I want you to hear his response. the answer is partially just because he tells us to and the word tells us to obviously for our benefit though and I think part of that is just the beauty of people from all different backgrounds all different stories gathering together to declare the truth of what our God has done and of who our God is Um, just the unity and one heart and mind that we find in those spaces is so powerful, so edifying to us, but I know so honoring to God as well. So, yeah. So why is it important for you to meet together? I don't know there's anything more beautiful than what Brooks just said, but what's your reason? Where do you sense your own need for encouragement? And how might God want to use you to spur on another? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that your sacrifice was enough. We, we don't have to. There's nothing else. Your sacrifice is enough to make each one of us perfectly perfect forever. Thank you. I pray that you would help us to rest in that truth that we are perfectly perfect and you are continuing to make us holy. Would you help us to recognize the places in our world, the places in our homes, the places in our hearts in which you want to do a deep work of holiness, in which you want to draw us closer to you. God, thank you so much uh, for people like Leroy that uh, reminded me. Thank you so much for people in this church who remind students that run around this church. Thank you so much for our students that remind us older folks the beauty and goodness of your grace. Thank you for Corinne. Thank you for her testimony and the testimony of her dad. God, thank you for her mom and dad. 
and for Brooks. Would you help us to be a church that spurs one another on toward love and good deeds? Would you help us, God? Would you help us to get out of our own way? To bless. To do really what you called us to do, to love others the way that you loved us. And now as we just sit in this truth, your truth, I pray that you would help us to respond to you, to respond to your truth in ways in which you're speaking to us or calling us. Maybe it's to talk with a friend or to pray on our own. Maybe it's to seek out one of these prayer advocates who are always willing to pray for us, with us, or to take communion, to be reminded of the sacrifice that sets us free, to be reminded again and again, to be reminded today as we come to the table that you have set us free. And as we sing that we might declare your truth, would you help us to respond to you by declaring your goodness and grace? We love you, God. We need you. I need you. We need you. We invite you in Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray in your name.